Good morning. This morning's Bible reading is from the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verses 1 to 9. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Let's pray as we dig into God's word. Lord, we thank you that your word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. Lord, please make this word of yours shine for us, all of us today. Amen. There's an 11-year-old uh, boy who lived in West London. He uh, queued till midnight to get a, a copy of the Harry Potter book. Uh, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Uh, this is what he said afterwards. It's the best yet. From the beginning, it leads you straight into the story with no going over what happened before in previous books. Now, for that reason, we're not going to uh, have a, a preamble about what's been going before, but let's get straight into this passage. Uh, and it's all about... If you see, an experience of God. What sort of experience should Christians have? I was talking to someone this week who has sort of made a commitment to Christ, but they haven't felt any change. What sort of change should they experience? Now, Paul here tells us what his ambition is. Look at verse 10. I want to know Christ. Now, there are many sort of religious experiences on offer today. Um, you know, religion can take us out of our mind into ecstasy. It's always been the same in ancient Greek culture. That was one of the recognized religious experiences. Uh, it literally means standing outside, outside yourself. Uh, 
the Greeks called this mania, uh, uh, enthusiasmos, en, fuse, into God. Literally, it means having God within you. Now, this standing outside ourselves can, well, as we all know, can be deliberately induced by all sorts of means. Uh, meditation, uh, dancing to rhythmic music, it's always been there. Uh, breathing exercises, psychotropic drugs. They've all been used to give people this experience of God within them. But these are not the sort of experience that the apostle wants the Christians to seek. You know, others may promote a, a sensation of peace, uh, of beauty. Uh, you can get that, can't you, if you uh, go to some magnificent cathedrals with the beauty of everything, the music, the ritual, the beautiful clothing, I suspect that it was th this experiences that some uh, young Christians in the early church were attracted back to Judaism. You know, it had its order, its magnificence. And today, unfortunately, there are many evangelicals who uh, go for ordination, who over the years uh, leave the simplicity of the gospel uh, and turn to ritual. I had a friend at college who was vice president of our Christian Union. And in the end, uh, he, he became a, a bishop, but he, he lost that simple faith that Paul talks about here. See, my first point, Christian experience must center on Jesus. This is Paul's big thing. Look at verse 10. I want to know Christ. The Good News Bible translates that. All I want is to know Christ. It's a recurrent theme. Look, look back to 121. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul, Paul knows Christ. He's become a Christian. But he still wants to know him better. What a great Christian leader Paul was. With all the pressures on him to compromise with uh, Judaism, he doggedly refuses. It reminds you of that uh, beatitude uh, that Jesus gave us in Matthew 5. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. That's the way to get the experience that God wants for us, to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now let's get back to our passage. First word, look at that in 3 verse 1. Finally. Obviously, that's not the end of the letter. It's, it's the grand finale of what he's talking about all the way through. The essential point is he wants people to understand Rejoice in the Lord Jesus. Rejoice in the Lord. You know, we may have satisfying jobs, nice friends, good hobbies, uh, 
lots of good things, good families, but, and think that that's what satisfies us. But Paul says, no, only one thing matters, our walk with the Lord Jesus, our day-to-day -day walk with him, remaining obedient to him, wanting to live for him. Look, look at verses 7 to 10. There's no doubt what mattered to Paul and what he wants all of us throughout time to follow on. There it is. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage. That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, from doing things, but that which is through faith in Christ. Verse 10, I want to know Christ. I have told before the story of a, a lady who uh, brought a youth, her, her youth people to a youth service we ran. And I didn't know her, so I went and sat next to her when she came in. And her opening words to me were absolutely striking. She said, you know the trouble with your church? I didn't know what the trouble with my church was, so, uh, but she continued. She says, you talk too much about Jesus. Wow. I mean, we could have looked at this passage, 3, 7 to 10. Look how often Jesus is mentioned. No, actually, we, we, I said, look, let's look at 1 Corinthians 1. There's a, a troubled church. And Paul, if you don't know that, it's worth looking up sometime. In the, the first uh, 10 verses, he mentions Jesus 12 times. It's Jesus, it's Jesus. Troubled church, it's Jesus that matters. To rejoice in the Lord Jesus is the object of the church. And Paul doesn't hesitate to keep mentioning this. So, my first point, Christian experience must center on Jesus. My experience must. Now, there's something else that really struck me as reading this. Straight talking is sometimes needed. Look at verse 2. This isn't politically correct language, is it? Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Huh, can you see that today? There's no, no sense of weakness here, no compromise. What Paul says uh, may undoubtedly upset some people. They're, they're sincere, Judaistic Christians. But what he says is so vital for us to understand that he's using this uncompromising language. I don't know if you've uh, been reading about uh, Kathleen Stock, this professor uh, down at the University of Sussex who uh, published a book questioning the idea of gender identity uh, and saying that she didn't think it was more socially significant than biological sex. Well, good for her. She's treated this. Students shouldn't just expect to hear their own thoughts giving, given back to them. 
Now, we need today of all times to be robust and to have this approach that Paul has. Plain speaking is sometimes needed. <laughs> Posters around Sussex University demanded you sacked uh, because she makes uh, trans students unsafe. At least now, a whole lot of people, including the vice chancellor, have come out in favor, and she's got a very good job in the States. But who were these dogs that Paul so unceremoniously derides? Now, we know the, the Jews called the Gentiles dogs, so most of us would be, be dogs. But we, we mustn't think of you know, friendly retrievers like Arkali. No, you have to think of feral, wild dogs that are uh, fighting and grabbing anything they can. We, we've got to be very clear that these dogs were sincere Christians. Christians who, who thought that, that the church should accept all the practices of the Jewish rituals, which after all were, they said, ordained by God. So why don't we follow them? Uh, being circumcised, what's wrong with that? It just shows that you're marked out in your commitment to God and your family. And, and the Jewish festivals and the practices. Isn't it wonderful to remember what God has done in the past? Paul, why are you so angry about this? Do you all see why? You see, Paul's message is that the Christianity, salvation, righteousness is all about Jesus. So adding religious practices and rituals inevitably detracts from him. It's so important today. True worship is the glory of the Lord Jesus seven days a week. It's not something you do on Sunday. There's a danger in having special places for a church. The early church grew mightily without having church buildings. You know, these weren't permitted until after 1313, uh, when Emperor Constantine issued his Edict of Milan. And it's 10 years later that that made uh, Christianity acceptable. 10 years later, it became the official religion of the Roman Empire. And then you could start having church buildings. You know, the oldest church in Rome, uh, there it is, in Santa Maria, built about uh, 350 AD, still there. Churches have, have tended, haven't they, to always copy the Roman basilica. You know, that was, it wasn't a religious building, it was a social building. It had a central aisle and two side aisles. Uh, the, and churches have always continued to do this, perhaps adding a little cross bit to make the shape of a cross. But uh, Christians actually are meant to meet in our homes, pray in our homes, pray in the open air, be with God all through the week. They had to be careful. In those early years, they couldn't do things publicly. This is why uh, you read in Ephesians 9, it says, look, uh, the, this joy that you have, this singing 
this music. It's got, it must be inward. Speak to, it, to each other in spiritual songs. It's not sing them out loud. Encourage one another. One to one, that's how the church grows. You see, real worship, Paul teaches, Jesus teaches, is in the heart. And it will always overflow to others. If it's not overflowing, do I really have that sense of worship of the Lord Jesus? Is he really central? Do you remember when the uh, woman at Samaria understood what it, what it meant to uh, receive living water? She overflowed. What'd she do? She went back to tell others in, in the, the city about Jesus. Come and meet him. There's all the difference between religion and Christianity. Religion says, uh, be initiated to the group. Do your best to follow the group's rules. And maybe God will bless you as you do this. And in fact, the word religion, re-ligari, ligate yourself back to God. Do your best to do what you think will please God. It's our efforts. But our efforts can never bring us to God, to a holy God. And Christianity says, no, it's the opposite. Jesus has already put us right with God. He gives us his righteousness if we're his people. Look, look at verse 9, there it is. So to add circumcision, other religious practices, don't enhance but detract from the supremacy of the gospel in Jesus. They undermine Christian unity. <laughs> it's very contemporary today. Uh, Roman Catholics aren't encouraged to join with other churches unless those other churches submit to the supremacy of the Roman See. Uh, in discussions between Anglicans and Methodists, there's no unity possible unless Methodists accept the historic bishops. You know, strict Baptists uh, won't admit to uh, communion, people who haven't been baptized as an adult in an acceptable way. See, our unity must be because it's following Jesus that matters. We've got uh, the person in our family who's a very devoted Roman Catholic, but she loves the Lord Jesus terrifically. That's what really matters. I can quibble with the doctrines, but what matters is this love for Jesus. Look at verse 4 to 6. This is, this is quite explosive. It's the centrality of the historic Jesus. You know, some would be outraged. How, how dare you, Paul, be critical of something that we cherish? And Paul answers it with this sevenfold religious uh, privilege that he used to accept. And it's quite an awesome catalogue. Look, circumcised on the eighth day. He was an eighth-day child. The, the real thing. In contrast to Ishmael, 
adults who'd been converted into Judaism, they would be converted later, uh, circumcised later. It's a highly prized privilege to be admitted on the eighth day of the stock of Israel. He's a thoroughbred Jew, tribe of Benjamin. That's a good one. Uh, Benjamin was uh, the daughter of the beloved Rachel. And from Benjamin came the first king, King Saul. Many of the judges came from the tribe of Benjamin. The tribe that was loyal to David when there was the great disruption in Israel. Hebrew of Hebrews, he says. Although he's born up in Tarsus, uh, his family were deeply Jewish. And they, they read the Hebrew scriptures at breakfast. They kept themselves to themselves. Isn't it wonderful when Christian families read the Bible every day in their families? There are always efforts to keep up the old traditions. I heard recently in the University of Aberdeen, they're trying to uh, get Gaelic back. And their various families are saying, look, you, you must speak Gaelic to your family. Even in Canada, the family's doing it. Now, but this was much more serious. Pharisee. Now, we mustn't think of a Pharisee as being a, a hypocrite, but someone who genuinely tried to please God by doing what he thought was right. He was scrupulous in keeping religious rules, a bit like a monk would be. Zeal. He was a real bigot for the old religion. Ardent. It mattered, rather like fanatical Muslims who think that killing non-adherents is doing God a service. But Paul was in this way. Look, for religious righteousness, faultless. He kept the 636 rules of Judaism that uh, the Mosaic Code uh, gives. Outwardly, he was formally religious. All these things gave Paul a, a status of superiority. But he knows what he was really like in his heart. <laughs> There's a, a, a young monk uh, from a, a very strict order who was uh, interviewed uh, on television. And he said this, I would not go through all this if I did not think it gave me a title to heaven. Poor chap. Isn't that awful? Didn't he realize that in Jesus, he already had the title for heaven? There's a, uh, a Hindu, a student who went into uh, St. Helens in Bishopsgate. And he was talking to the vicar, this is after a cow service, to William Taylor. And uh, he, he asked, um, he says, what is the, why is it that you Christians are so confident about your salvation, about your going to heaven? Uh, and he, he said, uh, very tellingly, uh, William Taylor, he drew a picture of a ladder. And he said, look, Everyone in religion, in Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, is trying to climb the ladder, Judaism, trying to do things that please God. But the Christian message is that 
God has come down. And this student said, I see. Everything that we are trying to do, God has given us in Christ. That's the Christian message. So the, we must look at the Christian emphasis must be on Jesus. Straight talking is sometimes needed. But now, back he comes. Christ is everything. Paul, again, uses this extreme language. Uh, look at what's mentioned three times in verses 7 and 8. Just look down. See, he taught that these seven uh, characteristics, or he'd thought, were pluses. They were credits to his spiritual account. But actually, they're not credits. They're debits. They deny that righteousness is found in Christ alone. You're whatever were gains, verse 7. I now consider as loss for the sake of Christ. Look at 8a. I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. What a word. That's rather politely put. You know, Paul was actually much straighter. Dung is the word. He's taking a swipe of all loose thinking. Anything that detracts from the righteousness that Christ gives us is positively detrimental. But being in Christ is not the end. It's the beginning of a new life. Living for Jesus, living with Jesus. You know, D.L. Moody, one of the greatest evangelists uh, who ever lived uh, in Victorian times, he was born a, a country boy out in Connecticut, totally uneducated. Did you know this? Uh, but when he became a Christian, he changed. He suddenly wanted to start learning. Uh, and he went on living with and for the Lord Jesus. When he's a teenager, he started a, a Sunday school for the poor lads and girls in the area, and he taught them God's word. He continued to be utterly bibline in his blood. Can we say that with the, the same approach? Can we say with Paul, look, verse 10, I want to know Christ. That's my passion. It's the Lord Jesus who saved me. It's only because I trust him and I'm in him that I'm going to heaven. But because of what he's done for me, I want to give the rest of my short life on this earth for him. John Williams was a, uh, a young poet. He worked in the city for a, a large commodity firm. His very interested in literature, and he got an arrangement with uh, Penguin Books to be sent all the paperbacks that they published. Uh, one of the books that arrived was the new translation of the four Gospels done by Dr. E.V. Rue. It's interesting, actually. Dr. Rue himself became a Christian when translating that, that little book. Um, John Williams took this book and started reading it as he went to work on the train and came back. And one evening, he's traveling home quite late, and he opened the book and sat in this 
uh, carriage. And he got as far in Luke as reading about the crucifixion. He wasn't a Christian. There are only two other men in the carriage. Uh, one was an Englishman, and one was obviously an American. Uh, the Englishman suddenly had an epileptic fit. And at this point, the American very professionally uh, lay him down on the ground, loosened his collar, put his handkerchief in the corner of his mouth so he wouldn't uh, catch his tongue. And then the American turned to John Williams and said, look, I'm awfully sorry, but I'm afraid this happens several times a week. You see, we were in the Korean War together. Um, I was wounded and I was left in no man's land. And this Englishman came and carried me to safety. But just as we were entering what we thought was a safe position, uh, a shell landed beside us. He said, the next thing I knew was we woke up in hospital. I was invalided out. But when I got back to America, I heard that the Englishman would never get better. I left my job, he said. I broke off my engagement. I came to England to look after him. And then he finished saying, you see, he did that for me. There's nothing I cannot do for him. Well, the Englishman and the American left at the next station, and John continued to read his book. But now there's a voice ringing in his inner ear, as it were. He did that for me. There's nothing I cannot do for him. And as he read about the crucifixion, it really hit him. And there in this empty carriage, he knelt down and gave his life to Jesus Christ. See, gaining Christ, being in Christ, knowing Christ meant everything to Paul. And he longs that us, his readers, should think in exactly the same way about Jesus as he does. Why, why must we make Jesus the center of our lives? Look, look at 3 verse 9. Jesus is my righteousness. It's he who makes us acceptable to God. We can't get a righteousness of our own. We can't do it by keeping rules from, that comes from the law, how I live. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Look at verse 8. Nothing compares to knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. Remember those famous words of Jim Elliot as he, uh, who went and was killed by the Alka Indians. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. Let's pray. For me to live is Christ. Lord, help every one of us here to be so converted that we can say this, that we long that our families should get to know and understand this message, that our friends, the people we live with, 
should hear this message, should read about it. Lord, help us to be so full of the Lord Jesus that we are a lot of use to you on this earth. For Christ's sake, amen.